Hello and welcome to the latest podcast of How Might We? And today I'm joined by James Baker-Julie. And he's going to be talking about how might we create a high-performing and agile organization or company. So welcome, James. Thank you for having me, Hunter. So, James, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and give them a bit of background about yourself? Yes, James Baker-Julie. I'm a partner in a company called UPAL. We're based out of Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, we're having locations, office locations in about seven countries, and we've been going for about four years now, since 2016. And we're primarily focused in the uh, IT industry. So we provide talent and we provide the solutions for our customers, uh, a lot of them in the top Fortune 100 companies. Okay, so I've gone totally global now. I've got somebody from Stockholm who's got businesses all over the uh, seven different areas. That's great. Okay, so so the how might we you've got is high performance and agile organizations. So do you want to explain that a little bit, what you mean by those two words? Yes. So when we started our company, uh, well, it actually started in the basement with my two colleagues, uh, Carl and Ruben, and I joined them a little later. And uh, the three of actually uh, of us know each other from uh, a large IT organization here in, uh, in the Nordics. We've got about 20, 30,000 people. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we, we got involved in UPAL uh, was that uh, we didn't want to be in this large corporate type business anymore where everything was very traditional and bureaucratic and there had to be a sign off for every little decision that you had to make. And uh, if you look at how to become an, an agile or a high performance agile company they they excel mostly often at strategy and people uh, oriented practices uh, outperforming all other organizations in stability and dynamism and if i explain what that meant is that in the beginning we were a startup and most startups are very very quick to respond to the market and they're focusing on their product or their service and uh, that's all they're doing. No, they're very dynamic business, you know, way of working, highly responsive. But what they do lack is stability. They haven't really set up their structure and their processes, their, you know, business entities uh, such as HR and, uh, you know, accounting and, and all these different, you know, units that you have in a, in a, in a company. So in order to look at this in kind of some, you know, Y and axis graph, uh, you'd have at the very top, you'd have be a startup very responsive to change, but you'd be very low in your stability in being structured and having your processes in place. Uh, to be a high agile organization is to be highly responsive to the market or any change that happens. At the same time, you've got all your structure and stability in a high area as well. Now, if you look at these large corporate organizations, they tend to you know, be very traditional, very bureaucratic, and very slow to respond to change. Eventually, they do get there, but a lot of them are usually so big that instead of just responding to change quickly, they'll just do a merger or an acquisition with another younger company that will just... Uh, fulfill that gap of being responsive. So our goal has always been to be as agile as we can. I know it's a, a term that's thrown out there quite often, uh, we're probably overused, but we have set ourselves up to be very responsive to change. I mean, this is the whole basis of UPAL. 
We are a company that's involved in change initiatives. We want to accelerate business and we want to ex accelerate society and accelerate environment. And we're working in different kinds of areas, we're working in business areas, as well as we're working uh, in society areas where we're providing education and these kinds of things. And when it comes to environment, we have partnered up with a lot of, you know, new tech, green tech companies to uh, really, you know, hone in in how we can provide more of a sustainable environment in, in the world. So, yeah, you know, responsive to change and then, of course, building the structure underneath. And, and that's a very difficult thing to do. There are so many processes in a company and you've got to find ways that can help the organization and the people in the organization not to, you know, overload themselves. And, you know, there's a lot of planning and processing involved and a lot of manual work. And uh, the goal there on, on the, the stability side, the structure side, is to see how you can automate as much as you can. And, you know, thank God for the technology world we live in now. There are so many tools out there that we can use to really improve this automation process, you know, robotic process automation. But then now we're in, in, involved in a world of AI and machine learning, which is going to even in, improve those processes a lot more based on AI learning and machine learning. So do you think one of the things that organizations should be taking advantage of, as I say, is the technology and ways to integrate that into what we do to automate as much as we possibly can in our processes and systems? Yes, yes, of course. I mean, <clears throat> and it, it, what is happening, you know, uh, we are becoming smarter, we're becoming faster, and we're becoming better at everything that we're doing. The machines are slowly but surely taking over, uh, taking over all these kinds of manual mundane uh, jobs. The, the, the rate of technology, as we know, almost doubles every year. And uh, we have now left quite a lot of the web 2.0, 3.0 behind us. And, and now we're into the world of intelligence. And it's still quite an unknown. It's, it's a new area. We're you know, exploring this a lot, and many, many companies are. But the, the way things are moving at the moment, it's, it's uh, very interesting times. So if you were, if you were a betting man, and, mm -hmm. or if you uh, were looking back in five years' time to now, what do you think are the biggest changes that would have occurred in those five years? Data. Volumes and volumes of data, not just raw data, but data that has been cleaned and understood and learned from and to be able to speed up uh, processes even quicker. Uh, now, going back to that uh, agile framework I was talking about, uh, this will be the, the basis and the structure for your stability in your organization to be able to respond quickly to uh, market change, not, not just meaning like a, with a situation of an uh, economical breakdown or these macroeconomical problems that may occur, but also to how your customers behave. Customer behavior is changing constantly. And this is based on the technology that is provided for customers. So it's important to understand, you know, in your business, how your customers are behaving and how you can respond to that change very quickly. So data is the, is the, is the key area here for, for let's call it data-driven business. So the data-driven, so, I mean, I, I used to work a lot with people in HR, and one of the things that gets me is HR works historically. Mm -hmm. So we do an engagement survey, and then the engagement survey takes 
one or two months to complete and then it takes another two months for them to do the analysis of that data then it takes another three months to put anything in place to try and help with the engagement of your employees but engagement is a day-to-day activity but we're working on we're making plans that are six months out of date that were a snapshot of how people felt like that one time Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've been working in this area as well. These surveys are awful. <laughs> and a lot of the time you don't really get the truth because although they say they're anonymized surveys, I think the, the, the employee probably still gets a feeling that, oh, if I write the truth here, I might lose my job. <laughs> so there's ways to do this. It's, uh, it's important to capture this data. Um, Maybe the data is not going to be as truthful as it's supposed to be or represents uh, it is, but you know you can gamify this, you can you know, do different kinds of things that are fun. Nobody wants to fill out a form anymore. Maybe they want to play some game or maybe this you know some other kind of way to to capture this data to get the real pulse of you know your employees and how they're feeling and are they progressing and uh, do they need any support or help? And of course, that always, always boils down to kind of your, your, your policies in your company. Do you have an open door policy uh, or you're an open culture? Uh, these are things that you know, we focus on as well. But going back to that, as you said, these are areas that we are focusing on in terms of now a new rollout, uh, which we're working on. This all started off, as you said, I mean, capturing this data, processing this data, very manual processes. We have started to work with research scientists that are working in the cancer research or these kinds of things. And one of the researchers said, well, it's taking him about like 20, 30 minutes time to find anomalies in these kinds of markers in, 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 in their patients, which they are regularly checking every week. And uh, we said, okay, well, what we can do is we can try and automate this process. We can capture the data that you're doing and put some machine learning behind that and try and reduce that 20 minutes down to a few seconds. So this is one example where we're working in is that we're creating this space called like a a future lab where various industries can come and they have access to an infrastructure. They have access to, you know, data sets. People and companies can contribute to these data sets because what's happening now is there's a lot of cross-industry happening. Uh, digital disruption is breaking industry boundaries. And we are seeing a lot of um, connections between various industries. They're, they're building their kind of ecosystem between each industry. And this ecosystem will drive future competitors, competitiveness. So there's a lot of opportunities here in, in finding new business models uh, between different industries. You can see examples already uh, when financial services is now is connecting to, you know, government is connecting to retail, uh, one click payments. You are seeing this in uh, open banking. If you have noticed that there's been a big transformation through financial services in the banking sector. Uh, You know, before you had the traditional bank, they closed all their data to the world. It's all in-house. And then they were pushed by uh, these new fintech companies because uh, these fintech companies were providing better services than the bank. Although the fintech companies weren't bound down by deposits and compliance. So there was this major shift where uh, the banks were worried that they were going to lose now to these fintech companies because they were providing better services for their end customers. 
and all they'll be stuck with is just this kind of deposits and balance sheet and, and, and compliance. So what they decided was they will open up uh, their their data to these fintech companies. So you get a lot of different kinds of users that have access to a fintech company, but then that fintech company is open to uh, the user's bank. And then there's a whole ecosystem of sharing going on there. So you can see these kinds of examples happening more and more uh, in terms of this uh, ecosystems. So I think that, as you say, the barriers are coming down as sort of what we would normally sort of protecting and sort of organization protecting themselves. Mm. Be uh, closing themselves down, sort of protectionism um, is how we used to say, rather than being agile, bigger companies used to just buy the competition or yes, buy yes. the people who are providing a service. So now you think we're much more working towards collaboration between organizations and how they can see a, using data to help both of them excel and achieve. Yeah, you know, uh, we've always prided ourselves to be an, an, an open source company. First, in our, with our talent arm, we're technology agnostic. So if whatever customer requests from us, a .NET developer or whatever kind of developer, that we can provide. But we have been very focused in open source uh, software, which is uh, community-driven software. The communities out there building the software for anyone to use. Uh, you can take snippets of code and add it into your development. And this is where we, we would like to work in when we talk about our future lab. We want to, you know, make that a lot larger between on an industry level where industries uh, can come and meet and talk to each other and not be so closed off from, with each other, even competitors to decide or discuss, you know, what can we do together that we can create a, a more digital harmonious ecosystem between, between us all. And maybe we find some new kind of, you know, business models out of that. One of the things that's obviously I'm not a techie guy and understand it, but I think one of the industries that are, you can see that happening massively mm-hmm. is the auto industry. Yeah. Because it's so expensive for all uh, different car manufacturers to actually stay ahead of the game independently that they've said, we need to work together to collaborate on the technology that will move our industry forward. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they're pressurized, right, by, you know, carbon emissions. They're pressurized by new players such as Tesla coming up with electric cars. They're all following Tesla to, you know, create their electric cars. But then if you think uh, in a larger context, uh, cars have become smarter. Cars are now self-driving. Cars are now talking to each other on the road. Cars are protecting you at a T-junction, knowing that another car is coming in your blind spot. So you see a lot of tech coming involved. You see a lot of retail being involved in, in cars. You could be driving along and the car will say, yeah, we know, I know you like Starbucks. And, uh, you know, there's a Starbucks on the corner. Do you want me to order you a coffee? And the car will order the coffee for you. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of this fusion happening. And it's very exciting times. So what about the ethics on this? Because I know obviously anyone who's watched something like Terminator and all that, sort of the machines are coming and what role do machines play? And then the things like all these, as you say, a lot of work is going to become redundant through robotics and mechanizations. Mm-hmm. And the sort of then you've got how do we deal with the new world and the new learning that people need to do to become adaptive themselves? Yeah. 
it's uh, it's a slight unknown. I I mean, <laughs> there is that you know argument between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg on the future of AI and if it's dangerous or not. I don't really have a point of view yet. I think humans are are going to be are going to try and put some you know checks and balances on on this, making sure that you know the machines don't really take over in that regard. But when it comes to workforce uh, for the future, yeah, I think a lot of people will be redundant based on you know the technology, but there will be you know other positions for them to to take on. I think the future really holds. Um, for humans uh, is to have a more creative role or a design role or, or this kind of role in, in, in the future when it comes to, you know, managing or trying to handle, you know, the machines or the you know, artificial intelligence, deep learning things that are going on. And that, uh, that's, and the, the strange thing is most people think, I can't do that. I'm not creative. But in reality, we are all creative if we're just given the space to actually Re reconnect with our creative genius that we're all born with. Yeah, sure. You know, humans have adapted for so long, and we've made it here so far. And now this the, the new wave. I mean, this is the digital era. You know, we've we've surpassed the industrial revolution, and uh, this is the the new the new revolution. And we will find ways to uh, adapt to to the new the new norm, so to speak. Okay, just one. I want to go back to when you talked about open source. So you, so you, you, so it sounds like the way I was imagining it is like a community coming together and then creating a solution that suits that community. Whether that be and your your community would be an industry wide or potentially even industries together working together. So do you, do you really see that sort of open source collaboration at that level being coming forward? Yes, I believe so. I think there's probably going to be a bit of bureaucratic red tape and, you know, stuff like that. People are, well, a lot has changed. Companies and people were very protective of what they had developed and, and, you know, produced. I think the world, and I see it already since the open source culture started almost two decades ago now, in terms of development, coding and things, you're seeing more and more people wanting to share their ideas for the sake of progress. And, you know, it, 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 there, there will be moments where some things will be developed and they will be kept behind closed doors and then they will search the market to see if there's something that can help them improve what they are building internally. And then there are some that are really transparent and, and quite a lot of them are um, are, are really interested to work together and create things and this is uh, things that things that we are tackling with with our future lab you know we're we're focusing a lot on the blockchain era area where we are having these kinds of contracts so anybody that was participating in this open source you know development or cross-industry development their 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 names would go down in this blockchain ledger as a contributor and uh, if something it's almost like a patent right and they if this if this collaboration had created some new product or service out of it, then there would be you know um, uh, you know payment towards those people that contributed. That's uh, in a commercial sense. So this is something that we're focusing on very much as well. Otherwise, there's an area where people can just play and work out stuff. And I know you're not not the techie guy, but I've been to many many 
conferences, technology conferences, and especially, you know, developers and technologists are, are super excited about community. They're super excited about, you know, how someone has developed something and they're really interested to talk about it. And, wow, how did you do that? And they're, yeah, please join our, you know, community to you know, improve upon on this so there's a lot a lot more shift moving there and um, uh, i see a more community driven uh, um, environment in the future i think that's um in ways how companies might as you talked about agility in the organization having the structure and part of it is what have we got and then working together within that and creating that community of excitement over development and how we can all contribute to making what we've got better mm. so and so that that's explaining or the definition of that is somewhere around an a, um, a sort of organization learning, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to community, especially when it comes to software, you'll find that you'll get um, much faster support if you choose open source software because the community is very much involved in the development or the improvement of that software. So, yeah, it's a new changes there, especially uh, in, in, open, open, in open working together. And you see that now already, like I said before, in the banking sector, open banking, open source, open communities, all contributions. I think it's just really, a, you know, people need to find a place uh, to work. They need some kind of what they call these hubs. And um, the hubs shouldn't be really closed off. Uh, they should be open to people to join and, and contribute to. It's the same old thing, you know, with professors in the old days. They still do it now, but they they write their articles on, on the findings that they have, you know, and they put them in the in the review, you know, like the Harvard review or something like that. So I mean this is just a, a new version, more of a digital version of that. So it's about being because I, I do think, because I, obviously I'm in the learning field, and that there's still some people who say that knowledge is what is, I said, knowledge to me is free. You can go anywhere and find stuff out. So organizations that are sort of trying to hold on to some of the knowledge they have, is, I, I think, is a losing battle. It's about- yeah, but that's, you can see that already when I talk about customer behavior. Is the customer actually contacting the company's customer service or you know, um, advisors or anything like that. No, they're not. They're, they're in social media. They are looking at reviews. They're asking the community, is this a good product or not? Should I buy it? Or is this company a good company to, that I, I should get their services from? Uh, and the, the community is, is the one that is driving this uh, decision-making, not really the company. And so, you, you see the, the, the changes happened in the last few years. That's why companies are heavily involved in you know, marketing themselves and social media, being so careful about what they say, how they service their, their, their uh, customers, ensuring that they get like, hopefully the best reviews they can. And this is all boils down to advocacy, right? So you know, if you look at the journey, you're attracting customers, you're servicing them, and if you haven't serviced them correctly, then you're not going to get the advocacy you need for to drive you know more and more customers. I mean that's that's really true. So friends, obviously where I live, uh, we get quite a lot of visits. We've got loads of cafes and restaurants, and they used to come down and said, "I found a cafe I want to try." So how'd you find it? TripAdvisor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They go on TripAdvisor and they go, "Okay, let's look at these. This is where I'm going. This is what I've go. What the people actually say. Let's have the real photos, not these, not these ones that, that are." 
let's have i i want the real experience i want people to say what it's actually not something that's been uh, manufactured to for me to consume but what people are actually thinking yeah yeah you know, and the example yesterday i went on to one of the communities i've got on facebook and said i'm thinking of doing this can anyone recommend somebody yeah for two reasons one you probably trust the recommendation more but and also it's quicker yeah, I don't have to go and do the research. I just ask a community of whatever it is on the Facebook group I'm belonging to. I said, I want to do this. Does anybody got any recommendations? And you go, do, 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 do. And within three hours, I had 20 recommendations. I then picked three or four of them and chats and that's it. So I've now chosen who I'm going to work for. Yeah, yeah. So this is the interconnected world now. And this is the open culture or open community world we live in. And um, referring back now to, you know, this the ways things are happening in business or industry. Uh, uh, I see this moving more and more forward with uh, you know, cross-industry collaboration and development. So it's been an interesting chat, and surprisingly enough, it's been nearly 30 minutes already. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, we could go on forever. You, well, this is the subject, yeah. Although we're not the techie side of it, but where we're we going, and because I'm all about co-creation and collaboration, I just think that's the way forward. Yeah, um, that's the same for us. Yeah, co-collaboration, co-innovation. Yeah. Just go forward because I think, because I do appreciative inquiry a lot and I, I work with that and part of the, the ethos of that is if you want the system to change, get the system involved. Yes. So, uh, and get as many people involved as possible and give as many people an equal voice. Yeah. Then you unlock the collective wisdom and the creativity that exists within that community or that group or that team that can drive drive things forward yes so that's definitely where where i sit in my my thinking around stuff yeah. and also i'm strength-based i like to look at what works and how we can amplify that rather than looking at what's broken yeah yeah no no we're on the same level then yes yeah, it's definitely <laughs> the right right way and so yes we could sit so i just want to the thing you said at the beginning is this is to say true agility in organizations and so you talked is about having the ability to adapt quickly, but also then having the infrastructure or the structure underneath that supports that and gives you stability. And yes. quite often you've got, as you say, small companies have their high in the adaptability, low in structure and systems and more traditional or established companies tend to be the other way on the seesaw. So mm. what sort of things do you think an organization can do to help get that right balance between um, having the structure in place, but also ensuring the structure doesn't inhibit the agility. Because I think that's what we've got to do, isn't it? It's the structure not inhibiting the agility, but the structure also being good enough to support agility and adaptability. It all boils down to trust and performance uh, in the people. This was the frustration that you know, myself and Carl and Ruben uh, were having. We, we had a lot of innovative ideas. Uh, we wanted to push the boundaries. Uh, we wanted to create things but we were limited um, by the structure uh, and the, the risk management of, of things. I think if companies can try, I mean, they're doing a little bit of it now, these large corporations, they, they're doing these kind of, you know, um, digital ex experience hubs or, you know, disruptive hubs, and, but they're still very corporate. Uh, you you've gotta have some, uh, let let people be creative. Let them be innovative. And and then again, also another thing. Uh, what is a big worry here for these co companies is that you have creative people in the company, and they've got a lot of ideas, and they want to create. They want to innovate something, but then you know you have financial uh, officers or CFOs or you know these guys 
are going, well, no, that's not efficient or it's not, uh, it, it's costly. And no, no, we, we can't, we, we don't want to invest anymore on that. We're going to shut it down. But this, that's the whole point of innovation. I mean, if you have a team of people that are passionate about something, of course, they're going to fail a few times, but they never give up because they have a sole belief that they're going to make it successful. Uh, you've got to give people that kind of, you know, headspace and that leverage and room to, to breathe and, and have the patience for them to, to, to kind of see it through, you know. Yeah, that's, that's my, my piece of advice for, for large corporations. So interesting, I was reading a book called Be Less Zombie. I was just like flipping through it the other day by Eve Evelyn, Evelyn Turner, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And part of it that's quite interesting is that like organizations is that how much of your income in the future are you expecting to come from products or services that, that do not exist at the moment? Mm-hmm. And if you get that balance right, then your whole business model is about accepting we need to innovate and create new things now because we're for forecasting that to be in our future income stream. Yeah. And that's what I talked about before, you know, this is dual world of all companies. Most of the time, and trust me, (laughs) I deal with it on a day-to-day basis. Uh, uh, The operations of our company, yes, I'm constantly putting fires out. It's normal. You've got got to keep the the company running, got to keep it going. There's always something that needs to be done on a structural level, an operational level. But we've got to try and carve out some time for innovation. And uh, we are finding that balance quite, quite, quite well. I think it's to do with my my partners uh, and I. We we are very. We have these really great creative sessions together that last like only 20, 30 minutes, and uh, they're very quick. And we get to the point, and we go, okay, fine, let's go and do a little kind of MVP, a minimum viable product or prototype of it, and let's see where it, where it runs. And so we we always try to carve time for that. And uh, as you say, I mean. Uh, what products and services will we have in the future? What will be will, will be coming in as an income or revenue stream? Yeah, you've got to give the uh, the time uh, for people to do these things uh, to create this these new ideas for the for, for the future of the company. And I think that is a mindset in the way we question ourselves and how we foresee it. So, as I say, if you change the lens, you look at something, then what you look at changes as well. So not looking at our, our company stable, we've got income coming through, is they're going, okay, how much of our income do we expect to come from your products services? You ask them that question, it totally changes the way they look at how their business should be set up. Mm-hmm. You've got to encourage that 10, 20 or 30% of innovation within that time frame. Yeah, I mean, they also got to, they've got to really uh, get to the reflection of why are they in business mm-hmm. and stop focusing on, you know, uh, what the result is the result is what, what, what you come up with and, and what, what or why you're in business the results can be you know a new product a new service but it can also in terms of most companies they want to know what is the result in terms of uh, commercials or financials um, it's a it's a tough balance but uh, you gotta constantly innovate you see a lot of companies come in and they're successful and then they die and somebody else that has the same concept but it's better and that company didn't see it. It's the same story you see with Nokia and Apple. You know, Nokia didn't keep their eye on the ball. Uh, they, they lost on that against Apple. And there's many, many cases like that, uh, as you see in business. Yeah, the Kodak is another one, isn't it? They saw... Yeah, yeah, the digital camera. <laughs> they invented it. Yes. <laughs> Again, that's the fear of sometimes the innovation and something do, it might actually do some massive damage to your main product at the moment, which is quite a cash cow for an organization. 
Yeah. So that, that's again, you just say it's that balance of risk. If, are we willing to take a punt on something that could damage this? We're not sure it's going to be as successful as possibly what we're doing now. Yeah. So when you talked about MVP and sort of doing a prototype, so that, that comes from design thinking, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read a really interesting article. We'll go back again about when you talked about HR and processes. That is, if we apply design thinking to HR, hmm. it could totally transform the way HR works because it's about giving people the space and unlocking the human potential in the organization, not so much about the structure we have running it. Sure, sure. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, we, we generally take a, and I hope a lot of companies do this, but we, we do take a, a design thinking approach to everything. Um, it's nice to just do a quick prototype or something. We'll take, that's what we have UX designers. Um, we transform what we have in our minds about something and say, okay, run along with this and see how creative you can be in, in creating something or a process or, you know, what is the, what is the, the user experience or, you know, what is the employee experience? Because that's the, the biggest thing right now. Customer experience is kind of, you know, almost old news. Now we're focusing on employee experience. And yeah, I mean, the employees of today are a little bit more demanding, I suppose, than they were in the past. <laughs> a lot of kids nowadays leave university and think they're going to walk straight into a management position. Um, if you look at the life cycle of employees nowadays, it's not like the guy's been there 15, 20 years. They're usually, you know, anything from six months to max two years in a company, and then they're moving up to the next thing. So how do, you, how do you retain people? How do you get them engaged? Uh, there's a lot of questions around that when it comes to employee engagement or experience. Yeah, I think I like the experience rather than the engagement because it used to be satisfaction. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I don't, I, satisfaction is not good enough. You need to be at least engaged. And then the engagement, is moved, as I say, moves on to experience because if we get that right, then the products or services and what you provide to your customers by, by default is going to be better. Because the whole, everything in it is working towards achieving excellence. Then if we achieve excellence internally between how we work, mm. what we deliver to our end user, yeah. it would be better anyway. So let's concentrate on the internal aspects. Yeah, and that's the Richard Branson's way of thinking. Focus on your employees. Put them number one. Uh, put, the, put the customer second. <laughs> or third. Yeah, third. <laughs> And that's like, oh my god, no, we've got to put profit at the top. Oh, he's, okay. he's probably worrying now about his, his airline. <laughs> yeah, so, well, I think anyone who owns an airline now is worrying about them. I think it's, yeah. uh, and again, as I, I don't like when people say, let's go back. I said, we're not going back, we're going forward. Yeah. So we're going forward into something we don't know. And people say, no, I just can't wait for it to go back. It's not going to go back, it's going forward. And we're not too sure what it looks like. Mm. So I think all COVID has done sort of in a business sense and economic, it, it shone a light on the transformation that was happening and it's just yes. it up and it's accelerated it massively just accelerated what we were through. So instead of taking three or four years, it's taken two or three months. Yeah. And that's been our business model from the very get go. We have focused entirely on, on, uh, on the gig economy. This is for our talent, our, our, our partners and everything that we do projects with. We have this large, ecosystem of talent and, 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 and um, partner agencies we work with on many, many different projects. And we've proven that business model, it works. And we saw this coming. If you look at uh, the US workforce 
I think if you look at this numbers, at least half the workforce in the United States is part of the gig economy. Now this is babysitters, Uber drivers, but also in the IT sector, you know, developers and so on. This has changed. People are not going to an office anymore to work for a company. They're doing these gigs, uh, especially in the IT world. Developers are more interested in the project than what a company will offer them or this. They, they, they want to produce something. They want to develop or be a part of some creation. This is my experience. Uh, I can't speak for all developers, <laughs> but based on the experience, it's more about that. And the same in Europe, you see, uh, I think it's around 30, 30% now in the gig economy. The, the only battle that, that is, is occurring uh, now COVID has accelerated that because now, you know, we're not allowed to go to the office because of COVID. So everybody's working from home. Uh, some are losing income, but especially in the IT world, they're, they're doing pretty, pretty well because they can work from home and do coding and stuff at home. But, you know, if the, the problem, though, that will happen from this is what we are seeing as well is these individuals or freelancers are doing these gigs but maybe not for America, but especially here in Europe, you know, we have very strong social systems. And, you know, for if you're unemployed, you get an unemployed benefit. If you're sick, you get the health insurance from the state, especially here in Sweden. So this is the model that we're, we're following as well. You know, how can we ensure that people that are working in our projects and this gig environment are, can be, you know, have some security in some way? So, this is a big thing to tackle, especially for the European Union. We've been reading um, open to the gig economy, but how will people be, you know, supported or have the security uh, when it doesn't go well? So it doesn't go well. If yeah. I mean, the, the, where the, the status of people in has been challenged in courts as well for that state that thing. So Uber mm -hmm. being taken to court about it, are these actually employees or are they or are they self-employed? Because that mm -hmm. makes a huge difference on what they are or are not entitled to. Um, yeah. So again, going back to what you're, you're talking about before we finish up is the, I think a phrase I read somewhere about is we're now getting into a workforce of, of digital nomads. Mm. So people, because we, they can work digitally, especially in IT and coding and stuff, they become quite nomadic as well. Yeah. So they can say, you know what, I've, I've been here for a few months. I've quite like it here. I wonder what Spain's like. So they just yeah. go and live in Spain for six months and then they'll yeah. go to Italy for six months or whatever it is. Because yeah. it doesn't really matter where they work. Yeah. Just give me well, an internet connection, I can work. Well, well, you know, if you look at UPAL, we are a, a bunch of digital nomads. You know, we're pushing 65 now employees. You know, we've grown, I think we've added on about another 20, 25 in the last month or two. And they're pretty much, we have them all over the world different, you know, uh, people working in our company, you know, HR or admin or accounting and so forth they're, they're living in different countries and then the one one week i'm talking to one of the developers and he was you know yeah i'm going to bali next week so i'll be working from there so the time zone will be a bit different but i'll i'll, I'll see my task coming in and i'll keep you up to date and then we've got someone who's gone off to you know another part of the world so i i, I find it's really cool they're they're working where they want to work it happened to me, I was in France now, the last three weeks, I went down there and I worked from there. And I like that freedom and I'm, I'm happy we have a company that can, can provide that freedom for, for everyone who just wants to travel around and work where they want to work. Is it, you're paying for people to de deliver. And I think this is one of the things, isn't it, where the trust, I don't really care where you work, I don't know where, where you live, it's up to you. 
yeah. I'm, paying, I'm paying you to deliver a project. So yeah. let's, let's go not on where I can see you working, which is, I think, more traditional leadership and management, isn't it? I can see this person's in the office, therefore I know, no, you know they're in the office, you don't know they're actually working or delivering anything. Yeah, and it goes back to what I said before about trust and performance. Absolutely. You know, they perform and then we have more trust. And so far, so good. I mean, we haven't had really any major incident with anyone. People join us, they like our culture, they like the freedom, uh, they like the freedom to work the hours they want to work. And uh, yeah, no, it works out pretty well. Okay, so if you were to give uh, people five tips to be high-performing and agile, just five. I do this at the end. I didn't tell, I'd never tell any of my guests I do this. I just do it right at the end. By the way, we've talked about this for like 20 minutes, half an hour. Like, give me yeah, five yeah. Tips. You throw me under the bus. <laughs> the wheels of the bus go round and round. That's all I can say. <laughs> so I think five things sort of encompassing what we've talked about, the five key things organizations should be looking for, for high performance and agility. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So it's important then to... Let's see, five things. You really ensure that, of course, that you, your people are, are enthusiastic uh, about what you're doing uh, and uh, you give them the freedom to, to you know, involve themselves and be creative about it and drive that success. So the people are first. Mm-hmm. Second is having dedicated leadership to, to the business, um, ensuring that you know, the processes and, and people are, are, are moving forward. Three, analyze your business in terms of how efficient you can make your processes uh, uh, so you're not slowing things down. Four, reuse a lot of things that you have in your storage, whether it's some code snippets or components or maybe some you know, solutions or things that can help you build and, and, and put something together quite fast so you get fast time to market. And then the fifth one, I would just say, have a good time, you know, enjoy. <laughs> it's, 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 I, I, I do like companies where you can have fun because at the end of the day, a lot of us spend more time at work than sometimes do with our family. Not so much now because of like so many people working from home. Yeah. But it shouldn't be a stressful place. It should be a nourishing place. Yes, definitely. It should definitely be. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, James, and thank you for giving up your time for uh, for me today and for the listeners. And sort of the the talk has gone on slightly longer than some of my other ones, but it's been a fascinating subject. So, I'd just like to say thank you, and uh, yeah, just thank you, and looking forward to the listeners on the next episode of How Might We. Thank you very much for having me, Hunter. You're welcome. Bye. 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 Bye.